from the Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there, while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no roots, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and as the thorns grew up, they choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is grown in the hearts. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with great joy. Yet such a person has no roots, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, the person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the lure of wealth, Choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another, sixty, in another, thirty. In the name of our loving, liberating, and life-giving God, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> the dude abides, <laughs> but Daoud lives, and will likely outlast even the dude. When I moved to the beautiful island of Kauai some years ago to become the rector or the senior pastor of St. Michael and All Angels Church, I had been warned in more ways than one. You see, I was following this larger-than-life priest by the name of Jan Rudinoff, and he had served there for 30 years. That's three decades. That is a long time. In dog years, that is 60 years longer than the Haw Creek Chapel built in 1872 has existed. <laughs> now, do you have any idea what they call a priest who follows another priest who has been at a church for 30 years? They call him an interim. <laughs> because the chances are really good that he will not last very long that he or she will not be able to cast their own vision or facilitate significant change to a culture that has been so steadily shaped for so long by another leader who's embedded in the DNA of the community. But 
every Sunday for almost 10 years, which in Bill years is an eternity. <laughs> Willie or Charlie or Clarita or Margaret would bring me a bag of mangoes or avocados or papayas or lychee that they had grown themselves and handpicked to remind me that though it may take a while for a tree to take root and blossom, eventually, if you hang in there and you see it through, if you tend and take care of that field, that plant, that crop, that tree, the harvest will come. The fruits of your labor will ripen and they will be enjoyed and shared. Eventually, you will taste and see that God is good, as the scripture says. Those true fruits will be delicious and renewing and sustaining. I actually grew quite fond of Jan and his wife Paula, and we became friends over the years. And Paula was even more of a character than Jan. The word on the island was that this preacher's wife, in her younger days, would surf Hanalei Bay having forgotten certain items of clothing, <laughs> such as all of them. I don't know, but what I do know is that Paula was a lot of fun, and she was very engaging. She was not as fun as Sandy. She was not as engaging as Sandy, and she certainly did not have the spiritual gifts that Sandy possesses. However, what Paula could do better than anyone on the planet is this. She could quote every single line from the great Lebowski. <laughs> she knew every line. The Cohen brothers would be proud. Her favorite line, at least of those that could be said in church, was of course, the dude abides. Now, there's a film critic in Liverpool by the name of Ben Sherlock, and he insists that that line, the dude abides, has deeply significant spiritual and even biblical significance. He believes that when Jeff, the dude Lebowski, utters those words to the stranger in the final scene, its meaning goes far beyond a friendly platitude between bowling alley acquaintances, that it is a profound paraphrase from the Bible, specifically the book of Ecclesiastes, an obscure passage that reads, one generation goeth, another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. That as kingdoms or lives or buildings or communities or dreams rise and fall, the ground on which and from which they are created is the only constant. So the dude is saying in this final scene that no matter the challenges and circumstances, no matter those seed-stealing and scene-stealing birds, no matter those rocks that impede or block or flatten, no matter the weeds that threaten to confuse or strangle or destroy, the dude is unmoved and unfazed. The dude will continue to be hanging out in that great glimpse of the eternal beyond the bowling alley.
yes. The dude is pretty impressive, all right. But not nearly as impressive as someone whose story has not been made into a movie, although it should be. His name is Daoud. Daoud Nassar. The dude's problems and challenges are child's play compared to the hand that Daoud has been dealt. And though the dude seems to deal with such potentially devastating developments through a kind of a Buddhist approach of non-attachment, Daoud deals with it in a different way, by engaging in prayer at every turn, by holding on desperately to his faith, by clinging to Jesus, by allowing the love of God to empower and guide his every decision, act, and choice. Daoud is rooted deeply in the ground of all being and is growing through the most powerful force the world has ever known, this motivating cultivator of compassion, this gift of pure love has carried him so far and carries him still. I'll never forget him. And I will share his story as long as I have breath. He's that inspiring. And if you don't believe me, you can ask any of our pilgrims who went with us to the Holy Land this past May. Daoud's story begins on a family farm just outside of Bethlehem, where he's trying to give birth to a movement that can change the world, not unlike the movements born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. The farm was purchased by his family more than a hundred years ago. They have all of the legal documentation required by law to prove it still. Daoud's family has had to go to court to defend their ownership more times than any attorney can count, and attorneys can count pretty high. Meanwhile, over the years, and especially in recent years, settlers from the surrounding illegal settlements have set fire to and destroyed more than a thousand of his life-giving trees, olive, almond, fig, date, many others, trees and plants that could feed and provide sustenance to many. Over the years, bulldozers from the Israeli military have destroyed their homes and their shelters and their chapels in which they sought simply to pray. They have had their roads and their fields plowed under. They've been shot at. They've been persecuted. They have even been beaten with metal rods within an inch of their lives. On one occasion, not from the Israeli settlers or soldiers, but from local Palestinian villagers, angry that there were these Palestinian Christians trying to promote not just justice, but also peace and understanding and reconciliation and coexistence. So what does Daoud and his family do in the face of such devastating violence, injustice, and oppression? They keep planting. They keep tending. They keep growing. They keep sowing those seeds of kindness and understanding, and somehow, in doing that, they do not lose heart. They build bridges between folks that think they're called to hate each other and perhaps have reason to do so. 
His farm and his ministry, he is called the tent of nations because it is a big tent. They have two mottos, and the two mottos come straight from the heart of Jesus. One, we refuse to be enemies. And number two, with heart and with hand, we change the land. Now, the one who shared the parable of the sower and calls each of us to keep the, the humus of our hearts tender and humble, the soil of our souls fertile and receptive, the one who seeks to plant and populate a dry and barren land with that which grows and provides sustenance and beauty and shade, the sower of all that is good and all that is redemptive is no doubt pleased with the good work against all the odds that Daoud and his family and his people continue to do. He will tell you that there are four guiding Christian principles that inform everything they do. Number one, we refuse to be victims. No victim mentality. Number two, we refuse to hate, and no one can force us to hate. Number three, we act based on our Christian faith and on the teachings of Jesus Christ. And number four, we believe in justice and fairness seeking what is right in the sight of God. After the latest bulldozing of those threatening, offensive trees, Daoud broke down and said, I raised those trees like I raised my own children. I had figs and apples and apricots and olives and grapevines. Why would anybody destroy them? Despite the destruction and the terror, you would not believe how many hundreds, how many thousands of trees have been planted there over the years by Christians, by Jews, by Muslims, by people of no faith at all, planted and watered and weeded and tended by Israelis and Palestinians and Americans and Europeans and from people all over the world who believe in what Jesus is doing through Daoud. Each time that ground is dug just a little deeper, that soil is broken and enriched just a little more extensively, those rocks are moved one pebble at a time. The weeds are separated delicately whenever they threaten growth. And something more than vegetation, more extraordinary than anything we can plant in a garden has begun to take root. You know what it is? It is hope. It is hope in the face of the hopeless. And hope, along with faith and love, the scriptures tell us, still abide. And the greatest of these, we're still learning, is love. I have to tell you that since Sandy and I moved to Round Top and found ourselves for the first time in our lives with land and the wonderful privilege of being stewards on land in which there are trees and plants that require attention that have to be watered and tended and weeded and protected and treated and cared for, we have learned. And we are still learning that there seem to be these opposing forces that are not all that interested in what we grow. In fact, these forces 
are more likely to destroy than to create, to pluck up rather than to plant, to watch wither and fade rather than work to see them blossom and bloom. But we have learned that unlike Esau, who was so short-sighted, we are in it for the long haul. Sometimes you just have to let go of some trees that have been destroyed or by drought or disease or age. And I have to tell you, whenever that happens, I go into a deep depression. But then, when we plant a new one, and we water it, and we watch it grow, it gives us such joy. Maybe we won't sit under its shade, but maybe our granddaughter, who will be born this week, it's interesting that a new church, when it is formed, is always called a plant. A plant. And like our trees, like our roses, like wheat and olives, like mangoes and papaya, it too must be cared for and prayed over and protected and lovingly tended. And even in planting the good news of the gospel, there will be hard hearts. There will be stony attitudes. There will be birds that steal. There will be weeds that threaten. So what should we do according to Jesus? Keep planting. Keep tending. Keep sowing the seeds that can sustain and support life, raising up that which will outlast the dude and will outlast even Daud. And most important, Jesus says, Keep your own heart soft and tender so that what God plants there will take root and flourish and bear fruit. It's true. Growing things in Texas, in Palestine, in Israel, in Scotland, anywhere really can be challenging. As the wonderful Scottish songwriter Doogie MacLean reminds us, we cannot control the weather or the circumstances. The reality is that dark clouds will gather fear and death and heartbreak and heartache will appear. Even the strongest web will tangle and even the sweetest bloom will fall. There will be success and failure, but do not let such changes discourage you or cause you to lose heart, let the love of Jesus carry you. Let his hand uphold you. Let his call guide you and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Death out on the plains. The 
It's heartbreak and heartache in the shadow of the flames. This love will carry, this love will carry me. This love will carry, this love will carry me, I know this love will carry me. The strongest web will tangle, the sweetest bloom will fall, and somewhere in the distance, we try to catch it all. Success lasts for a moment, and failure is always near. Look down at your blistered hands as turns another year. Is this love will carry? This love will carry me. These days are golden, they must not fade away. Time is like that flower, and soon it will decay. And though by storms we're weakened, and uncertainty is sure, like the coming of the dawn. Stars forevermore. This love will carry. This love will carry me. I know this love will carry me. This love will carry. This love will. 